Of all the castles that have been built around the world throughout the centuries, none is as famous or as talked about as Neuschweinstein Castle in Germany. It's been the inspiration for Cinderella's Castle at Disneyland, and it's been a model of medieval fantasy since its conception. A model that is still used today as the basis for what a castle is and should be. But its story and that of the supposedly mad king who commissioned it has been told and retold so often that the truth has been warped. So come with me as I tell the story of this incredible monument to childhood imagination. Albert Einstein once said, Logic will get you from A to B. Imagination will take you everywhere. I'm Aiden Main. Welcome to Haunting Historia. He was born Ludwig Otto Friedrich Wilhelm on August 25, 1845. King Maximilian II and Queen Marie of Prussia, the crown royals of the Kingdom of Bavaria, wanted to name him Otto. But Maximilian's father, Ludwig I, insisted that the child be named after him. After all, they shared a common birthday. August 25th is also the feast day of St. Louis IX, whom both Ludwigs were named for. This auspicious start to life, this connection to the past and to kings both great and notorious, could be the catalyst for the new prince's fascination with stories. From a very early age, he spent his time daydreaming. It would be hard not to, growing up in the picturesque Hohenschwango, the castle stood on a high cliff near the city of Fusen in Bavaria. Maximilian II had purchased the land and built his castle upon the ruins of a previous fortress. Ludwig II would have roamed halls filled with pictures of German heroes and myths. In particular, he became obsessed with the works of Richard Wagner after seeing the opera Lohengrin at the young age of 15. Despite constantly being surrounded by tutors, Ludwig held no interest in politics or in his future role as the ruler of Bavaria. He shied away from both of his parents, growing close to his grandfather Ludwig instead. More than once, King Maximilian's advisors suggested that the crown prince accompany him on his walks, but the king said that his son would never take an interest in what other people told him. All of this set Ludwig up to be woefully unprepared for his ascension to the throne. In 1864, when Ludwig was just 18, his father fell ill for three days before dying. Ludwig officially became King Ludwig II but he revealed himself to be a fairly ineffectual leader right from the start. He retained his father's ministers and advisors, essentially continuing the policies of the previous regime. 
Where Maximilian focused on the running of the government, Ludwig preferred the arts, music, and architecture. He avoided public functions and other aspects of being head of state that put him on display. But what possibly sent him over the proverbial edge was a spectacular failure just two years into his rule. In 1866, Bavaria joined Austria against Prussia in what would become the Austro-Prussian War. Ultimately, Prussia prevailed over them, forcing Bavaria to sign a treaty that would require them to come to Prussia's aid. This is why, four years later, Bavaria backed Prussia in the Franco-Prussian War of 1870. When Prussia defeated France, Otto von Bismarck made a move which unified the regions and created the German Empire. Interestingly, Bavaria secured several privileges wherein they retained military sovereignty, their own military justice, and the Bavarian army swore their loyalty to the King of Bavaria rather than the German Emperor. It was after this that Ludwig II began to seriously retreat in on himself. It's been theorized that he immersed himself in his side projects as a way of avoiding his failures and his own troubled personality. Ludwig obsessed over fairy tales, as well as the magnificent palaces of France, specifically Versailles. After visiting some of these palaces himself, he said that he wanted to build Bavaria's culture and architecture up in the same way that France had done. Thus, his habit of commissioning castles began. During his reign, Ludwig personally oversaw the construction of several castles in an effort to reinforce his fantasy daydreams. The ultimate culmination of this endeavor wound up just across the valley from his childhood home of Hohenschwango. He sunk his life and soul into its construction, filling it with all the things that he identified with. In particular, Neuburg Hohenschwango, as he called it, or New Hohenschwango Castle, was stuffed with depictions of the Grail King and mythology evoking the poet Tannhauser. The swan was also evident throughout the castle. These images all held incredibly important positions for King Ludwig. For one, the legend of the Grail King tells that of a man who overcomes a sinful nature through his piety to become king. Ludwig identified with this story because of his lifelong struggle with his own sin. Diaries from the king have survived, wherein he writes of homosexual desires that he can't control. As a devout believer in the Catholic Church, he hated that part of himself and tried to suppress it. Even more, while homosexuality wasn't a crime in Bavaria in the 19th century, it absolutely would not have been tolerated in their king. Swans pushed this idea even further, as the swan was a symbol of purity, especially in Christian literature. But beyond that symbolism, there was the character of the Swan King from the works of Ludwig's close friend, Wagner. The Swan King tells the story of a tragic man 
whose loneliness caused his downfall. Ludwig, who lived his life as an introverted, lonely man, naturally found this as a deeply significant parallel. During the construction of Ludwig's new Hohenschwango, which would later be called Neuschwanstein after his death, he lived in the old one, perfectly situated across the valley to watch the builders through his telescope. The construction was only supposed to last three years before the king could move in, but Ludwig's obsession with creating these fairy tale castles stretched the tradesmen of Bavaria too thin. Before long, the completion time was pushed back to 10 years, then 14. At the same time, he oversaw the building of another medieval fairy tale inspired building called Linderhof. When that was completed in 1878, he immediately turned around and began construction on a replica of Versailles. His obsession and refusal to participate in the running of the country led his ministers to question his ability to lead. The people of Bavaria loved Ludwig for the work he brought the laborers and tradesmen, but the politicians grew concerned that their king was becoming increasingly unstable. A popular belief, perhaps perpetuated by Ludwig's opponents, was that he bankrupted Bavaria in his effort to continue his little hobby. The truth, however, is that Ludwig only ever bankrupted his own personal funds. He bankrolled every project from his own royal coffers, incurring heavy debts with other royals in Europe. Sadly, King Ludwig II died before he could see many of his castles built. But interestingly, there's been quite a lot of controversy surrounding his death. It turns out that the mad King Ludwig may not have been quite as mad as the stories tell. I'll tell you all about it after the break. This episode of Haunting Historia was written and produced by me, Aidan Main, with music by John Bjork. What's interesting about Neuschwanstein Castle and the Mad King is that despite both of their fame, or infamy depending on who you ask, the details of the story have gotten overshadowed and largely forgotten. This podcast was created to bring those parts of history that get left out back into the spotlight. If you'd like to follow along with the show and stay up to date on all things Haunting Historia, follow me on Twitter at HHistoriaPod. I also have a Patreon if you want to support the production of episodes, with three different tiers offering rewards like an exclusive Discord community, a chance to vote on future episode topics, Patreon-exclusive t-shirts, and more to come in the future. And as always, if you have an idea for an episode, reach out to me via email 
using stories at hauntinghistoria.com or through the contact form on hauntinghistoria.com. King Ludwig II spent all of his time building his fantasy castles and filling them with extravagant decorations. Before long, it became clear that he had absolutely no interest in actually running the Kingdom of Bavaria. This, of course, did not sit well with any of the politicians surrounding him. They began to question his very mental state. There was talk that he had become paranoid and delusional. Some even took to calling him Mad King Ludwig. On June 12, 1886, a government commission arrived at Neuschwanstein and advised the king that they had enough evidence to declare him legally insane. Ludwig was summarily whisked away to Berg Castle, just south of Munich, where he was to remain for observation and mental care. But what if he wasn't crazy? Certainly, there's a lot about his deposition that smells fishy. For one, shortly before the report that declared him insane was put together, Ludwig was considering dismissing his entire cabinet of ministers and replacing them with new faces. And that report? Their evidence? They compiled it from four separate psychiatrists, none of which had ever actually examined Ludwig. Most of the details came from a Maximilian Count von Holstein, a man who made no effort to hide that he sought Ludwig's downfall. Finally, Ludwig II died under very mysterious, highly suspect circumstances. Not three days after his removal from Neuschwanstein and arrival at Berg Castle, he took a walk around the grounds with his psychiatrist, Dr. Bernhard van Guden. Incidentally, Guden was one of the men who signed the suspicious report that allowed them to depose Ludwig. They left around 6.30 p.m. and were expected back by 8. Neither ever showed. Both their bodies were found floating in the shallows of Lake Starnberg. Rumors persist even to this day that Ludwig tried to escape but failed. We may never know what really happened, but one thing is clear. Ludwig's legacy of castles remain as a testament to creativity and imagination, and possibly as a warning to the dangers of loneliness. If you enjoyed this episode of Haunting Historia, then please leave a like and a comment. Spread the word. New episodes are released weekly, but if you don't want to miss a single episode, then I invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. And join me next week for another look into the forgotten corners of the past. Until then, remember the importance of imagination. You're only given a little spark of madness. You mustn't lose it. Robin Williams <laughs>